<laughs> Hi guys, it's your girl Sahara Reve and welcome back to Perspective. Okay, today we have a live studio audience and we have a very, very special guest. He most recently served as rector of St. Gabriel's Episcopal Church in Hollis, New York in the Diocese of Long Island. While at St. Gabriel's, Father Lee was appointed by the bishop priest in charge of St. John's Episcopal Church, Springfield Gardens. Prior to his New York calling, he served as canon pastor of the Cathedral of St. John in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and rector of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Bennettsville, South Carolina. Today, he serves as the Reverend Rector at St. Philip's Church in Harlem, New York. That's where we are right now. And let's all give a warm welcome to Father Terrence Lee. Awesome, awesome. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. So we have a couple of questions. First, we're gonna start off with just anything you can share about yourself. Where'd you grow up? What's your favorite color? What do you like to drink, tea or coffee? Tell us some things about yourself. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with uh, the little survivors at the camp today. Uh, it's great to be in the garden of St. Philip's Church where I serve as the pastor. This church is over 213 years old. Wow. We've been uh, here in Harlem since 1911. And so this building that we're uh, sitting near out in the garden was built in, it began in 1910, completed in 1911, and it was built by the first black architect licensed in the state of New York. Wow. And his name is Vertna Woodson Tandy. Now what's interesting about Vertna Woodson Tandy, you asked me some of the things that I like and what I like to do. Well, I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, 06. That's my, that's my fraternity. Well, Vertna Woodson Tandy, who built this church, was one of the founders of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. Wow. And so it is a privilege to be serving as the rector of, as the pastor of this house that my founder built. Also some things about myself is I, um, I was a former elementary school teacher. And so I love children. I taught third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. I even taught kindergarten. And then I got the call to the ministry. And so I went into ministry. I love to drink coffee every morning. Even when I was a school teacher, an interesting story, when I taught fourth grade, my children knew whether or not I'd had coffee in the morning based on my attitude. Wow. <laughs> so when I came into the classroom, if I was a little grumpy, some of my kids would say, Father Lee, we've got to make you some coffee. No, I'm sorry, Mr. Lee. I was, wasn't fatherly then. Mr. Lee, we've got to make you some coffee. And I always had a coffee pot with coffee in my classroom in so I classroom. could make coffee all day long. I love to travel. I love to read. Um, and I love being a pastor. I love people. I get my energy from being around people, around young adults, older people, especially around children. Young people, you keep us young. And so I love being around you all as well. And I'm a parent. I'm a husband and I'm a father of two children. And I'm proud to say that my son is a member of the camp here today and a part of the studio audience. Yay! <laughs> that was so much beautiful information. I love that you have a full circle moment 
with your fraternity and having one of your founders also found your church and that's that's beautiful and so you also said that you know your church has been here for a very long time you said 1911 is that correct correct. so i can imagine that it has such a historical presence in harlem harlem being historical in itself so what are some i guess notable um people of a community that has been to this church or members of this church and what can you tell us about that yeah um what is interesting about St. Philip's Church is that most of the, in the early part of the 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, all of the black prominent churches or black congregations were in lower Manhattan or, um, or in um, what's called the Tenderloin District. And then around the early 1900s, these churches began to move away from that area and we came uptown to Harlem. Well, this church was the first church to come uptown in 1910. Mm. There was a priest named um, Father Hutchins Chu Bishop, who actually was came from Charleston, South Carolina. He came from St. Mark's Church, wow. where um, in, in the city of Charleston, where I grew up. He came and he became the rector here, and he brought the church from its previous location to this place. Now, what is interesting about this is that at the time, if you didn't know, Harlem was filled with the Dutch. There were Dutch people here, white people. And so in order to purchase the land for this church, Father Hutchins II Bishop was a really light-skinned black man. He looked white. Mm. And so when he went in to purchase the property, they sold it to him because they thought he was a white man. And so he not only purchased this property, at the time, once they built this church, we also purchased all of the tenement houses on 135th Street across from the Y. So what is unique about St. Philip's Church in Harlem is by the early 1900s, St. Philip's was one of the richest churches in America and the richest black congregation in America and one of the largest. And then in the 1920s, other churches began to move uptown. Another thing interesting about St. Philip's Church is that we're the second oldest black congregation in the nation. We're the oldest black Episcopal, I'm sorry, Episcopal congregation. We're the oldest black Episcopal congregation in uh, New York. And some notable figures. Anybody ever heard of Thurgood Marshall? I have. Yeah, Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall, who was the first black Supreme Court justice, he was a member of this church. Wow. He sat on the vestry and, um, and he was a member when he lived in New York City. Um, also, I told you about Virta Woodson Tandy, who built the church. He was buried in this church. Mm. Uh, people like Langston Hughes from the Harlem Renaissance, mm. they walked through the doors of this church. Some people said that Langston Hughes may have been a member. People like County Cullen, mm. Duke Ellington. These were all of the people that came through the doors of St. Philip's Church. But also St. Philip's Church did a lot with housing, affordable housing. If you look around Harlem, you will see some large buildings in the shadows of St. Philip's Church that have the name like St. Philip's Housing. Mm. And so this church was prominent in that. But also we're talking today about how to survive and mental health and all of those things. St. Philip's Church was the first black congregation to have a mental health clinic. It was called the Lafarge Clinic. And in the early 1940s, when people were uh, embarrassed to talk about mental health and mental illness, this church was one of the leaders in talking about mental health. Wow. It looks, it sounds to me that this church has had such a heavy footprint in what 
Harlem looks like and honestly what this country looks like. And can you can you tell me, I know as a pastor, as a as a rector, a lot of what you do has to do with supporting people through their processes, through through life and ultimately sometimes through grief. So can you tell me how your role supports people, either members of your church or just members of your community in general? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, uh, Trinity. Thank you. One of the things about the church is that, as I tell my people every Sunday, we exist for those who are not yet members. So the church is the only society in the world that exists for those who are not its members. I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. We exist for the members. If you're a Mason and you're a part of a Masonic Lodge, you exist for the members. If you're a member of a, of a literary society, those organizations exist for the people that are there. The church exists for everybody else who is outside of the church. We understand that our role is bigger than just those who come to church. And so when it comes to grief, this church, I bury, I've buried many people who have not been members of my congregation. For example, most recently, before the pandemic, I was sitting in my office and my parish administrator said, Father Lee, there's a woman who needs to see you. And this woman was not a member. I had never met her before. And she came in and she was crying. She said, I had a pastor. My boyfriend died. We have in his funeral, which was at a funeral home right at the block. And she said, he's not coming. And I need a minister to do the funeral. And I said, well, when is the funeral? She said, three o'clock this afternoon. And I said, well, do you have a bulletin. She said, I don't have anything. So I stopped what I was doing that day. I got, I told her, send me a picture of your boyfriend. We, we, we talked about the lessons and she had somebody to sing a hymn or a song. And I planned the funeral with her. And that at three o'clock that afternoon, I went into this funeral home and I officiated the funeral of a person that I'd never met because they needed a pastor. And so that's one of the things we do is we help people in their time of grief. Sometimes the grief is immediate, right? Uh, in, two, in a few weeks, I have two funerals here. And so members of the church die, we help them through grief. But another thing that the church does is we not only help people plan funerals and get through the funerals, but we understand that we need to be here when the funeral is over. So if your loved one dies or you've had a tragic um, moment in your life, we know that we have those funerals and those rites of passages, right? But what happens when everybody's gone? When the relatives leave, the funeral is over, uh, and you're home alone? Well, this is where the church says, we are here for you. We are here. And some churches, what I'd like to start here at um, St. Philip's Church is a grief and bereavement group. Um, one of the things that, um, that's one of the things my wife started at her church and she titled it Good Grief. Remember Charlie Brown would always say Good Grief, right? And so Good Grief was a, a program that she started and I like to start it here for children and adults that have had grief in their lives. We've all had grief. And so to come together and just talk about it. And, and, and also the church teaches us that no matter what happens, there is hope. And so though things may be tragic in our lives, um, for me as a Christian priest, I believe in Jesus. And so my hope rests in Jesus. But if you're of a different faith, your hope may rest in something. But what I teach my people is that we all have hope and hope is what gets us to the next level.
Um, one of the things our young people in our audience today will receive is a book. And that's being a former school teacher. I know that one of the best things to help young people deal with their grief is through literature, through reading, through reading books about a young person that may have had a loss in their life. And so the church is here to do all of that. So we, I guess to sum up this answer, which is very long, um, we exist, the church exists for those who are outside the doors. This is the one place where you are welcome. You don't have to have a membership card. You don't have to pay the dues here or the tithes and offerings. You don't have to have the right name or the right pedigree. You don't have to have the right skin complexion. You just have to come in with the need and if we are able to help you, that's what the church does. I believe that that is so beautiful. I know in today's day and age in society, a lot of people are turned off by, by the church, either because of their own personal experiences or the media or just not having the exposure to, to good faith and to church. But I think this message might, you know, bring people to a space and, and to a moment where they feel like they can regain faith again or come to church again and i definitely encourage anyone if they if they're willing to and they want to to come to this church i think that it'd be great for anyone and i also want to ask you 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 get to see a lot of grief and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering sometimes in your line of work so how do you sustain your mental health and and continue to keep your head up i know faith um obviously is is a factor but you know, can you walk us through how you maintain emotional stability and mental stability? Yeah, that, <coughs> excuse me, that is a good question. And that's an important question for people who are caregivers and people who give of themselves, people who are pastors. And one of the things I think in the black community, because I'm an African-American priest and I serve an African-American parish, one of the things that I think in the black community we have to do as leaders is be ex examples of how to be healthy mentally. Right. So what do I mean by that? Well, um, yes, I have a faith and I pray, but one of the most important things that I tell my congregation and I tell my friends and my children know is I see a therapist once a month. I have a therapist that I visit via Zoom because of the pandemic, but with her, um, this doctor who's a doctor, licensed clinician, I'm able to share with her my problems, my fears, my frustrations, my desires, my, um, my anger. Um, I'm able to share with her the hurts that I might be having so that I can talk about it with a trusted person. If I can say anything to our listeners today is we all need somebody to talk to, right? Sometimes as young people, we talk to our parents, or our friends, um, we talk to maybe the minister, and sometimes you may not wanna to talk to the minister, but you have a friend or a family member to talk to. Sometimes you may not wanna to talk to a family member, you may wanna to talk to someone else. So we all need someone to talk to. I think that's most important. So to take care of my mental health is, yeah, I pray, I do the things of my faith, but I also have a person that I can talk to. I also have what's called a spiritual director somebody who I can call and talk about spiritual things with. And so that keeps me healthy so that when I come to church and the people have problems, I can be a healthy person and deal with the problems that, um, that they might have. Finally, I'll say this, Mother Teresa reminded us who is a person that helped a lot of people that were in need. 
she reminded us, and, and I'm paraphrasing her quote, but she says, you know, you, you have to put oil in your own lamp, lamp so that you can be a light to others. So if we're going to help others, we have to refuel ourselves, right? Because if we don't refuel ourselves, then we won't be any good for other people. Wow. That is a beautiful, I feel like that's a beautiful way to end this episode. I think that was awesome. If there's anything else you'd like to share with the listeners into these live, our live studio guests, the floor is yours. I just want to finally say, as we talk about mental health and we talk about surviving, we, I want the audience to know and our, and, and our listeners is that as adults, we must understand that children have grief too that children have mental um, concerns and, and need to um, have a source of support for their mental health. So let's not dismiss our children's grief and their anger and their sadness and their frustrations. One of the things as a pastor and a parent, I always want to be attuned and aware to the feelings of my children. And so I think that's what's good about the camp t- this w- uh, today and this week. And I think that's what's good about um, educators is if we can identify and know that our young people experience the things we experience, then we can help them to become uh, healthier individuals. That's beautiful. And I wholeheartedly agree. Guys, if you have any questions, do you guys have any questions? Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. Let's give a round of applause for Father Lee. Everybody clap. Awesome, awesome. Thank you guys so much. You guys were such great listeners. I hope that you guys all took something from this. And I also want to thank anyone, um, you know, who's listening to this podcast. Oh, we have a we have a question. Yeah, that's a good question. How many times? Have, is that your first time? Or? Yeah, I've been to Israel twice. Um, I had the opportunity to go this second time uh, with my wife, who is also a minister. And so to be able to see Israel um, as a single person with no children, and then to go back as a married person with children. Yeah, one of the things about um, coping in, 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 in our faith is that... Um, We all have outward symbols, right, of things that encourage us. So, like, for for Christians, we have the cross, which reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus made. But there are also other symbols, especially in the Episcopal Church. We have a lot of symbols. We have the cross. We have angels. um, We have flowers. We have the things of the faith. You see the little fish that, you know, (laughs) reminds you. So we have all of these things. And so when you go to Israel, you go to a lot of religious sites. You go to the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus um, gave the Sermon on the Mount. You go to a particular church where, um, you know, um, he's, he blessed um, people. You go to the place where he turned the five, uh, the five, fish, uh, uh, five loaves and three fish or however many into uh, more food. And so when you go to these places, you're like, oh, my God, you know, these places actually exist. Like I actually you know, put my feet in the, in the um, Sea of Galilee, you know, wow. I, could, I could see the Sea of Galilee and walk around it. And so for me as a person of faith, you realize that these places are real. And what they do is they really strengthen your faith. 
And then you, when you go to Israel, you realize there are other faiths. There are a lot of Muslims in Israel. There are a lot of Jews in Israel. So you go to the Wailing Wall and you realize that, that most people in the world believe in something. They believe in a God or something bigger than themselves. And if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus. You know, if you're a Jew, you believe in Yahweh. If you're a Muslim, you believe in Allah. But all of these major faiths and other faiths too have some particular religious place that they go to that they hold sacred. And for the Christians, the Muslims, and the Jews, Israel is that place. And so you find yourself, you see um, the Jewish people going to the Wailing Wall and they're praying. And then you go and you can take your prayers and you write it on a piece of paper, you fold it up and you stick it in the wall. That's a Jewish tradition that has become a Christian tradition because we believe that that Wailing Wall was the only wall that's left of Solomon's temple. And so going to Israel, kind of it really strengthens your faith, but also it can challenge your faith as well. And that's what faith is about, you know? Sometimes you'll have challenges to your faith and your life, but also sometimes you'll be strengthened. And speaking to the young people, you know, like when you go to school, some days are good days, and some days are bad days, right? Some days are challenging days. And so what gets you through the challenging days? You're like, okay, whoo, I got through that test today. You know, I didn't have my homework today, but I have my homework tomorrow. I'll do better the next day. And so as young people and as adults, remember this, there's always tomorrow. And tomorrow always gives us hope. Finally, there's something that I say that comes out of the Bible. And this is what I say to my church every Sunday, and my son knows this. I say it to myself every day. It encourages me when I don't want to get up. It encourages me when I don't want to come into the office, when I don't want to go to school. I say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So every day that you have, it is a day that has been made by God, and it's another opportunity. So you may say, oh my God, I got in trouble yesterday. I was on punishment. I didn't have my homework. The teacher got on me. But you know what? This day is a new opportunity, right? So every day that you're alive is a new opportunity to be a success, to make a good grade, to meet new friends, to do better, for me to preach a better sermon, maybe to hit the lottery. I don't know, but you know, whatever it is, the new, there's always a new day. Um, and finally, uh, God says in Lamentations, great is thy faithfulness. Thy mercies are new every morning. And so every morning there's a new opportunity. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> yes. Another round of applause. Yes. Do you guys feel like y'all just went to church? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally. Okay. Everybody, again, thank you. Everybody here. Say bye-bye to the people. Say bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.